I get asked more often about how to manage a STEM or project-based learning activity with all of the moving parts, kids going everywhere, and controlling the chaos more often than any question I ever get asked. So today I'm going to share with you my best tips. I know they work. They work hands down. So stay tuned for the episode. Welcome to the iHeart STEAM Teacher Podcast. Science! Where teachers like you come for the best classroom vibes. School will be fun! Discover fun methods that engage with students to collaborate and communicate beyond their comfort zone with project-based learning. It's all about the students. STEAM with style, creativity, and critical thinking in the classroom while also turning up in the teacher's lounge with your host, Bonnie Kirkley. I've got an important meeting in the teacher's lounge. Now, full steam ahead. Okay, you've all been waiting and asking and wanting to know, and I will say that we all have our own personal styles for classroom management, controlling the chaos, but when you're getting started with STEM or STEAM or project-based learning and it starts, you've never really done it before, you don't know what to do to control all of the insanity, the questions that keep coming and today I'm going to tell you how to do all that. First of all, you really need to have good established ground rules in your classroom and those ground rules still stay in play when project-based learning is taking place. The number one thing that I do might give you a little shock I do not have a raised hand rule in my classroom. All those students that visit my classroom still raise their hand often, and I do acknowledge them. I have something else that I use instead. I start teaching it with first graders and kindergartners, and it does take a lot of repetition, but it works. And it makes your students responsible for their own discussions with each other and with their teacher. So first, let's think about the adults. When you're in a group of adults and you want to talk, especially if it's a meeting type setting, you realize that you need to discuss something with one person in the meeting and they're already talking with two or three people. Well, what do you do? Do you go interrupt and abruptly ask your question? No. You sit back and you wait because you know that what you want to ask is important and you want the person you need to ask it to, to hear it. So you make it your responsibility to make sure that they hear it. That is what I teach to my students. We call it listening and speaking skills. And it's really simple, but it does take a lot of practice, but it works so well. And the hand-raising dilemma with 20 hands raised and who to call in never has to happen again. But they still do it. It's just a, a habit that they have. So what am I talking about? 
this is what I'm talking about. First of all, I tell them all that if they take the time to ask me a question or share something with me, it must have been important. I ask them if they wanted me to hear it. And they all say, yes, I wanted you to hear it. That's why I said it. That's why I was saying it louder. And then I say, well, guys, I didn't hear it. I didn't hear what you said if you blurted it out. I didn't hear what you said if you walked up to me talking at the same time and I was turned around or I was looking at something or talking to someone else. I missed it. And I also tell them how important it is for me personally to hear what they took the time to tell me. I want to hear it. So it's their responsibility to make sure that I hear it. And this is what they have to do. Number one, make eye contact with a person that you want to speak to. Number two, check to see if that person is already talking, whether given directions or talking to another person. Because if that person is already talking, they can't hear anything really but their own voice and they won't be able to hear you. And most of the time, if you're already talking, you're not going to stop. It's aggravating. And we say that, oh, you interrupted me which gives them a feeling of, I should have waited. I did the wrong thing. And then what they wanted to tell you wasn't important anymore. So we get eye contact. We make sure that person's not already talking. And if both of those items check out, we double check to make sure that they have, that they have the person they want to speak to They have their attention through eye contact and they obviously know that that person wants to say something to them and then they can talk. And if they break any of that pattern, then I say you're not practicing listening and speaking skills and they get quiet and then they wait and it works like a dream. And in a STEM or project-based learning environment, They have a lot of questions. They want to come talk to you a lot. And sometimes you can feel overwhelmed as the leader or the teacher in the classroom. So just saying you're not practicing listening, speaking skills very calmly works. But you have to teach this. You have to practice it. You have to do it over and over. And you always tell them they're responsible to make sure the listener is ready to listen. That's what we do for the most part as grownups, but we all have those conversations that get heated and different people say things. But do remember, there's no point in saying something when two people are already discussing. They're not going to hear what you say. You have to make sure they're ready to listen. So that's my first dream tip that if you'll put it into place and you'll practice, it will work. Here is my second thing that I just love because the older the students get, the more chaos can happen during project-based learning. They'll have lots of questions. Sometimes they don't want to always do the groundwork, the brainstorming, the creating of a legitimate plan with labels. They want to skip all of those things. And of course, almost every STEM or project-based learning lesson We'll start with building background knowledge for the students. And that would be your regular instruction that you're going to allow them to use when they're and they'll apply it to their project based learning activity or their big build. 
Sometimes they don't want to do that work. So this is what I do. And it's not a secret. Other people do it. I actually started using this strategy after reading Make Learning Magical by Tish Richmond. Highly recommend that book. But what I do is gamification. And quite often I'm working with a group of high achievers or gifted students, and they all have bold personalities. And it's difficult for them to work in groups, which is what project-based learning often requires. So I gamify it. So let's just say, for instance, well, actually, we're not going to say, for instance, I'm going to talk to you about a real live project going on in my classroom right now. We are playing the stock market game. They are in groups and there's a lot of work for a group of fifth graders to do before we really get started because stock market, all of those terms, how it works, that's all new to them. So they've got some research and information that they have to do beforehand. That's not always fun. So I come up with a snazzy name and for this particular game, I call it Break the Bank. So think of any of those game shows and challenges on TV like Survivor, The American Race, Bake Offs, any of those, and sort of take it and intertwine into whatever your project is. Another one that I do is called the Robotics Race. But back to Break the Bank, the stock market game. I give them a sheet with a criteria and a list of all the details of the game, what the point is. I tell them we'll be working in groups and I tell them at the end of the break the bank project, there will be a big prize. And I try to make it a good prize, like buying lunch for everybody or, or not everybody, but the winning team or taking them out for a one hour recess, you know, whatever you can come up with, you can afford and or you have time for. But I try to make it a really special prize. For this one, I am buying lunch for the winning team and allowing them to invite a friend. Pizza is always a great cheap lunch to get for any group that wins. So they're super excited about this and they want to win. I create a point sheet, which is just a simple four-column table with rows. They create their team name, and every single day is a challenge and an opportunity to earn points. On the very first day, we complete a KWL chart about the stock market, what we know, what we want to know, and then later what we've learned. They don't always want to fill that thing out thoroughly. You know, they might write one or two things, but on this day, the challenge is to thoroughly rethink about what they know as a group collectively, think about what they want to know, and if it takes a little bit of research, that's fine. And the group that turns in the best, most informative KWL chart and that I notice works through their problems. I also look for groups that have equal participation among the group, the group team members will get 
a bonus set of points, but all groups that complete the challenge get a certain number of points. So on that day, every group can earn points and one group can earn extra points. I also sometimes use something that is mentioned in Make Learning Magical called mission cards. And this is just a simple little card with a, either it's something that will help them, it will help their team, but it could hurt another team in the final mission. Like choose a group to sit out for five minutes or you get an extra 15 minutes added or here are five bonus points, things like that. I put it on the card and then I put those scratch off stickers on top of them. You can find them on Amazon. Just put in scratch off stickers. You will find them. And if you laminate these cards, you can use them over and over for many challenges, especially if you make them generic. They can also win these. And then on the final challenge, they can scratch off to find out what their incentive is. So they're super stoked about all of this and it works like a dream. Whatever the activity is that I need them to do, whether it's writing something, researching something, purchasing right now, some of my challenge of, challenges have been to spend $10,000 on stocks today and then write up a stock portfolio and turn it in. Just different things like that. So it's your regular everyday stuff that you need them to do that sometimes takes them forever. Sometimes they don't want to do it. I like to put a timer on all, the, all of these things. Like you have to complete this within 30 minutes. So that adds an extra heated element to it and excitement. And by the way, all of these things help for retention of the new information because excitement is a feeling and emotion emotions add to retention of new information. So it just works like a dream for all of those bold personalities. And they actually even start to work well in groups because sometimes I'll drop a little extra five points to group X because today I noticed they had a problem and then they work through the problem together without any trouble. I also do this, which saves me and requires them to go do the research. Most of the questions that our students ask us most of the time are questions that they can actually research on their own with all of the tools that they have these days. But it's much easier for them to come and ask the teacher. So each day I allow them one free question. And then after that, each question that they ask will take one point off of their final point points awarded if they complete the challenge. So if they come and ask you a second question, it means that they've decided that that second question is worth losing a point. And it's a good question they really need help with. So I've eliminated all of the questions. I've created motivated students to do their work. I've got students who are willing to work together and want to work together towards a goal. And it is gamified, which is what they love. Some other things that you can do, you can come up with some creative, um, like 
problems that you can throw out, like something that I recently did was a um, regroup challenge where we had to, I threw it out and it's like, today's a regroup challenge. Team captains had to change from group to group and work with different groups. And so there's lots of ways that you can change this up, but it works, especially from like fourth grade on up to high school. You get motivated students, they work through their projects, they do it in a timely fashion, they build the background knowledge, they do the research on their own, and this is how I control it. Now, for some of the younger students, they might not need such a thought-out, longer game that they're, uh, end prize that they're working towards. They might need a more immediate one. So something that I do with them is called a hands up challenge. And if I tell them that today is a hands up challenge, they don't know at what point I'm going to say, throw your hands up. I'm going to come around and check your work. If your work is done, then you get this incentive. So those things work with some of your first grade, second grade, and third grade students a little better. It's harder for them to stay motivated and keep staying motivated through like a four-week process, um, you know, to try to win an award. And, of course, at the end of that gamified long project, you do have one winning team, and they actually have a really well reception to one team winning because they've noticed the amount of work. They start noticing the amount of work that the other teams do. And they strive to do that same amount of work. And so they actually get that some teams deserve more than what they got. But of course I have to do something something for everyone for completing a project. It might be something small, it might be a certificate, it might be, you know, like a simply I completed the stock market challenge and I write a special note to each one. But these are my top two classroom management tools for project-based learning and STEM activities. In short STEM challenges that might take one class period, I like to often show them at the very beginning three awards that I'm going to be giving based on their score for their rubric. It might be that I give out a award for the best problem solvers. I get out, out, a, out an award for the best overall design. I give out an award for art, um, artistic thought, you know, just different things. So it's not always the best one. And those work really well for classroom challenges that take less than an hour. I hope that you can put some of these into action in your classroom. If you want to read more about these, check out Make Learning Magical by Tish Richmond, or just go check out her website where she has a lot of free resources. And if you would like more instruction on classroom management for STEM and STEAM, project-based learning, I am going to add a link to the STEAM University wait list where we get down and dirty for eight weeks on how to be the best STEAM integrated teacher that you could possibly be, whether you're teaching STEM all day to a large group of students that 
rotate throughout your class or you're a classroom teacher that wants to integrate STEAM into the classroom, which is my main focus, I will put the waiting list link for you so you can get your name on the waiting list and be the first to know when it opens back up. It will be soon. Not sure when, but it will be soon. We just finished up a really successful cohort. I hope that this was helpful for you today. I can't wait to get my next podcast episode out to you. I've been super busy working so hard at the school where I work lately and been slacking a little bit on the I Heart Steam podcast. I will admit that, but I'm here for you. And all you have to do is send me an email if you need anything. Bonnie at iHeartSteam. Please like, excuse me, it's not like, but subscribe to the iHeartSteam podcast and leave a review. I would greatly appreciate that if you found any of this information useful. And I have one question for you. Do you iHeartSteam too?